Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Five years ago, Dan Kimball wrote a book. And the title of the book is, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. And the book came from his own conversations, his own personal interactions and interviews of his friends who were not Christians, who were outside of the church. And and trying to get a perception, what is it that people see when they see the church? And and you probably heard a lot about this because one of the the things that we found is, and and it's been reconfirmed um, by others who have done similar kind of surveys, is that most people's perception of the church is that they are judgmental, hypocritical, angry, superior, and arrogant, among other things. Now, that should not be. That just plain should not be. Because Paul wrote in the Ephesian church, he said, it's God's intent that now, through the church, the infinite wisdom of God should be made known. Paul said, God's intent for the church is that they would look at the church, people would look at the church and see the wisdom of God. He also wrote, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's God's intent for the church. And yet the perception is quite different from that. And it just should not be. And 23 years ago, when we were first dreaming about beginnings of this church, one of the things that we said from the beginning, and it has been our our goal and our aim and our mission ever since, is we exist as a church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That yes, we are here for those who believe and we want to help you become wholehearted followers, but we must always, always, always remember that there is a group of people that don't know Jesus yet. There's a group of people who on the outside are looking in, and a lot of them don't like what they see. And so that's why we, as leadership of the church, have decided our aim for this year, our focus, our goal, our, our whatever you want to call it, our slogan for the year is, we are going to change the way people view the church. We're going to do it. Now, we can't change every other church, but we can make sure we're changing our church, okay? And so what we are going to do for the next 14 weeks, actually, this is kind of an intro week, beginning next week for the next 13 weeks, we are gonna immerse ourselves in Jesus. As a church together, we are going to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus because sadly, there's a lot of people, I think, that call themselves Christian that don't know Jesus. And I would dare say that many of us don't know him as well as we should. And so what we've decided is we're going to go through the book of Luke. Because one of the things that came out of Kimball's research is that there's this gap that people have, people, a gap between people and God, and, and it's our job to help bridge that gap for them, help them find that bridge of Jesus Christ. But what's happened is there's another gap that has opened up, and that's the gap between our culture and our churches. And so we've got to bridge this gap if we're going to be able to help people bridge that gap. And so that's why we're doing this. We're going to change the way people view the church. And the best way we can do that is to immerse ourselves in Jesus so that we can know him, so that we can follow him, so that we could be like him, so that when people look at Northgate, when people look at you and when they look at me, they get at least just a glimpse 
of this Jesus that we follow. And so we're going to immerse ourselves in Jesus through the gospel of Luke. One of the things that we have found in the past together as a church is then we, when we come together with a focused concentration, there is a synergy that develops in that. That when we are all on the same page and we're encouraging each other and we're, 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 we're challenging each other and we're stretching each other, there is something that happens when the body of Christ comes into a focus and, and, and begins to work together. And so that's why we're doing this. This is a church-wide focus, and there's going to be a lot of different elements to it. There is an individual, personal element to it. Next week, we are going to have available for everybody who calls Northgate their home a daily reading and devotional guide. And we're going to give it out to you, and, and we've, we've put it together ourselves. So if you don't like the quality, you know, we, we got to take responsibility for that one. But, but we're going to help you. This is, and, and it's our prayer and it's our hope that everyone who calls Northgate their church home, everyone who considers Northgate, that they're a part of the Northgate family, even if they're on the fringes, would take this and personally go through the book of Luke with us. That we will read together and we will open our hearts together and we will learn together individually. But there's another element of it. And it's our small groups. Now, we have small groups. We have community groups. We've had them since day one. But what we are going to do is we're going to encourage everybody to get into a community group. It's a 90-day challenge, okay? Beginning um, next week is the personal devotional side. When we start the small groups, it's going to, we're going to wait till after Labor Day because we know we're going to lose half of you on that day. But um, beginning on the week of the 9th, we're going to start brand new groups. And one of the things that we're going to do is because for some people, it's a little tough going to somebody's home that you don't know. So what we're going to do for four weeks, the first four weeks, we're going to meet all here on campus and all of our small groups, all of our existing groups and all new groups. And it is our prayer as a leadership of this church that you will become a part of a community group, that you would take up that challenge, that you would take up the personal challenge to to read through and, and think about Jesus and that you would become a part of a, of a group where there, you'll be held accountable, you'll be challenged, you'll be stretched, you'll be encouraged, but that you will all take part in this. I am so excited about what this can do for our church, but it takes every one of us getting on board. So I'm going to challenge you. We are going to challenge you to get involved, not just in your personal devotional life, which we're going to help you with, but also in your community group, which we're going to help you with, and then make it a point every Sunday to be here as a part of the teaching because we're going to learn and grow together. So there's an individual component, there's a small group component, there's a large group component, and there's a lot of other surprises that we have for you along the way. But we're going to ask you, everybody here, everybody that calls Northgate their home, even if this is your first Sunday, jump in, because we're going to immerse ourselves in Jesus. And here's the thing, I'm going to give you a warning up front. I'm going to give you a warning up front. Jesus will both comfort you and make you uncomfortable. (laughs) He will do both. He will challenge you. And he will encourage you too. And you're going to learn some things, maybe some things that you've never seen before. And we together are going to grow as a body, become more like Jesus. Now, we're going through the book of Luke. And this morning, I just want to, by way of introduction, kind of give you an overview of some of the major themes that you're going to find as we go through this together. There are some things that occur in Luke's gospel that aren't in Matthew, Mark, and John's, and, and, and they're, they're kind of unique to, to Luke's writing style. But there's a couple of things here that we're going to learn together, and one of them is this, that you can have all the right answers and still be wrong. You can have all the right answers. You might know all, you might have a vast knowledge of the Bible. You might have, you might know all the answers and where to get the right answers if you don't know what the right answers are and still get it wrong. 
And that happened very often with Jesus. In fact, what you find, one of the themes through Luke's gospel is the people that should get it don't. (laughs) And the people that shouldn't get it, that you wouldn't expect to get it, do. And it comes down to this whole idea of knowing the right answers, but still being wrong. Now, I'll tell you, I grew up pretty much in the church. I mean, I was brought to church before I knew what church was, okay? My parents, if the doors were open, my parents were there. They served in ministry, and, you know, I went through the whole Sunday school. I, could, I don't have it anymore. I think I finally threw it out, but I have the perfect attendance pin with all the bars for every year. You know, I think I got it for like 13 years, perfect attendance, Sunday school. And I, and I was good. We used to have in all of our Sunday school classes, we would have contests, contests. And of course, for those of you who don't know, I have a little bit of a competitive streak in me, <laughs> just a little. And man, I, would, I, would, I had to win every contest. And then the way you, you had to have, you, had, you did your memory verse, you had to fill in, you had a little quarterly, a little workbook that you had to fill in all the right answers and turn those in. And, and, and you, had to, you had to participate in the class. And you had to, and one of the things we had, we called, they were called sword drills. Anybody ever heard of a sword drill? Okay, a few of you did. For those of you who don't know, it goes like this. It's based on the idea that the, that the word of God is, is living. It's, it's like a two-edged sword. It cuts to the very heart of our being. And so we would have sword drills, and they were based on how fast you could look up the passage. And so what everybody would do in class, you'd, st- you'd sit in your chair, and you'd, you'd hold your Bible, and then the teacher would give you a verse, like John 3.16. And then he would repeat it, John 3.16, and then he would say, Charge! Boom. And the first one to get it stood up. And if you stood up, you got to, you got to read the verse. And man, I was good at, I was, I was a number one in sword drills. In fact, I was so good. I was so good at sword drills. They handicapped me. (laughs) Seriously. While everybody else got to start with the Bible in their hands, I had to start with mine under my chair. I, I was so good at sword drills. I was so good at doing my lesson. I was so good at memorizing. I was at the t- I won every contest there was in Sunday school. I was learning all the right answers. I still wasn't getting it. And I went all the way into my college years. I even went to college to study Bible and theology. And I loved learning about theology. And I loved learning the Bible. I, and I still do believe it or not. I still do. But, but you know what was happening? With all of my knowledge, I was getting all the right answers, but I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Because you can have all the right answers and still be wrong. And the run-ins that Jesus has throughout the gospel of Luke is it's always with the religious people. It's the experts Now, there is nothing wrong with knowing Scripture. Believe me, there is nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to know Scripture. And it's a good thing to understand the ways of God. But the thing was, these guys were great at knowing the right answers. They just didn't get it. And what happened was, they were always in opposition to Jesus. And in contrast to that, the people that you wouldn't expect to get it, the, the people that were kind of marginalized inside of the people that had no formal scripture education flocked to Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. Andy Stanley puts it this way. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. 
And that in itself became controversial. Because he was being challenged by the kinds of company he kept. Because he hung out with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, marginalized people. And, 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 the, and the experts in the law, the, 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 the people who had all the right answers, would look at him and say, how can you hang out with those kinds of people? How, how, you're, a, you're a teacher of, of, of the law. You're, you're a rabbi. How can you be hanging out with these kinds of people? And Jesus answered him in one place. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the irony of that sentence is they were the ones who were sick and they didn't know it. And the people who knew their hunger, who knew their sickness, who knew what they needed, flocked to Jesus. And Luke tells us why. Luke tells us it's because they were confident in their own self-righteousness. He told the story once. It's recorded in Luke chapter 18. Told the story of two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, an expert, one knowledgeable in the word of God. The other was a tax collector. And it says, he says that the, the Pharisee came and stood in the temple and prayed, God, I am grateful. Thank you that I am not like other men. I am not a murderer, nor an evildoer, nor an adulterer. I am not even like this tax collector. I, I, I fast twice a week and I give 10% of everything I have to you. And over in the corner, says the tax collector, who could not even look up to heaven, but bowed low and beat on his chest and said, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For, so for the next 14 weeks, we're going to humble ourselves. And I'm going to ask you to admit, I don't have all the answers. And I don't care what depth of Bible knowledge you have, I'm going to ask you to come with humility and say, you know, there's a lot I still have to learn. We've been doing this together for the last month or so as a staff learning a lot of stuff <laughs> but you won't learn it if you're not humble if you're not open if you're not accepting and we're going to be doing things a little bit differently than than maybe you're used to doing them and you're going to rebel against that because you're going to say but that's not the way i do it i'm going to ask you to be humble and say okay but we're going to do it together anyway we're going to study and we're going to learn together we're going to admit our flaws and our defects we're going to open ourselves up for what God has to say to us. And we're going to learn. Not just for information, but for transformation. Because you don't want to just get the right answers. We want to have the right heart. And that's our goal through all this. Because there's a great danger if we don't. The great danger is not just for us. Jesus said at one point to the experts of the law, woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. He says, not only have you, you, he said, you, you have this knowledge, you know this stuff, but you refuse to enter. And not only that, you hold these keys and you've locked the door to those who want to get in. 
It's exactly what Dan Kimball's talking about. When people see the church and there's this gap, they can't get past the church to get to Jesus. And it is a sin if we become the barriers that keep people from finding Jesus. It's a sin. And we don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be that kind of church. So we're going to have to be humble. I'm going to have to be humble. You're going to have to be humble. And we're going to need to be open to what God has to say to every one of us. It's an important lesson. You're going to find it throughout the gospel. And very closely associated with that is this one. It's not what you know that matters. It's what you do with what you know. See, it's not what you know. It's what you do with what you know that really, really matters. Not not doing as a means of earning God's favor. Let me be really, really clear about this. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to show God how worthy I am of his love. It's not to earn something or or qualifying for something. It's something quite different. It's establishing establishing a foundation for our lives. That's what Jesus said. He said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. We put it into practice so that it becomes foundational to our lives. In fact, he told that at the end of a parable. One of the stories that he told about two men who built houses, identical houses, very nice houses, filled with all kinds of good works and and, and, and obedience to God's word. Very, very nice looking houses. Exactly identical, doing exactly the same things for two different reasons. He says one was like building on sand. So that when the storm came and the floods came through, it wiped out the house. The one who built on a foundation stood, stood the storm. And it's all about not just knowing, it's about doing, it's about putting it into practice. Not as a means of earning God's favor, but as a foundation for our life. It's what makes the scripture come alive. And one of the things you're going to do is you're going to be challenged over the next 14 weeks, you're going to be challenged to do something. And when it really becomes Something you do, it becomes a part of your life, and that becomes foundational. See, the two greatest pitfalls to knowledge without action are pride and judgmentalism. See, you can learn a lot, and you, may, you might know people like, you might know Christians like that. They are very disciplined. They, they never miss a quiet time. They, 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 they study God's word. They know it well. They, they could spout to you verses from here and there that you didn't even know were in the Bible. They, they're, they're studious. They're determined. They're very disciplined. And they're just, they are so disciplined and so, they're, they're going to be good Christians. And what happens is, they also think, You ought to be a good Christian. (laughs) And they're more than happy to tell you what you ought to do to be like them so you can. And that's the problem if you're just knowledge without the practice. There's a pride that sets in. There's a a judgmental. And, And it's interesting that those are the things that the church is seen as being. Prideful and judgmental. Because maybe we're learning a lot of information. We're not learning how to put it into practice. Jesus had a way of cutting through all of that. And one of the ways that he taught was through parables. Stories. 
That's all they were. They were stories. But they were stories told this way to, to teach people a spiritual truth. And you'll find these throughout the book of Luke. And one of the things that's unique to the book of Luke is Luke kind of gives you the setting. Matthew will kind of say, and then Jesus told this story. Matthew, Matthew, Luke will tell you, you know, an expert in the law came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, well, what's in the law? How do you read it? And the expert said, because he knew all the right answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Now go do likewise. And he said, well, who's my neighbor? See, see what he's asking is, what's the minimal entry requirements? <laughs> I, know, I know I need to love my neighbor as myself, but just tell me who my neighbor is so I don't have to love all those other people. <laughs> I mean, that, that's at the heart of the question. And so Jesus tells this story. You've probably heard of it called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where, ex, where a man is beaten and robbed and left to die alongside a road. And an expert in the law comes walking on by. A man who knows all the right answers. And he sees the man. And he crosses over to the other side of the street and walks on by. And the Pharisee, another expert in the law, teacher of the law, comes by. Diligent in the law. Knows the law backwards and forwards. Could argue it with you all the time. Comes by and he sees this man beaten, lying for dead. Walks by on the other side. And then a Samaritan, who were not well regarded by the Jewish people, who in many ways were actually considered to be turncoats, traitors, and even their enemies, comes by and he sees this man and it says he has compassion on him. And he binds up his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. And he takes him in and gets him a place to stay. And even leaves a little bit extra money so the innkeeper will take care of him after he leaves. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in law, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Because you can have all the right answers and still get it wrong. And it's not about how much you know. It's what you do with what you know. And one of the things that comes up, particularly in Luke's gospel, is when Jesus tells these stories, very often he leaves us hanging. We don't get the end of the story. We don't know if this expert in the law actually goes and does anything different about it. He tells the story of the prodigal son and how the prodigal son goes and, and then returns and his father throws this big party and his older brother refuses to come into the party and the father goes out and begs him and says, your, your, your brother who was dead is now alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You've got to come. And then Jesus ends the story right there. And we don't know. Does the older brother go to the party or not? What's the end of the story? You know, finish it, Jesus. And he doesn't. And he doesn't on purpose. Because he tells these stories and then he leaves it in your lap. Because the question is, now what will you do? See, his stories have a point. And he brings us right up to the point, but he doesn't resolve it because the answer to the story is what you're going to do with it. And you find that throughout Luke's gospel. Over and over again. So in the next 13 weeks, through our community groups, you're going to be challenged in very practical ways to do something. Like I said, we've been doing this together as a staff. I got challenged this week to do something. 
And I kind of was kind of vague about it. And I said, well, I'm going to call this person and, and, and see if there's some way I can help him. And, and Larry kept pushing me. He said, no, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to call him and I'm going to see what he needs and then I'll do it. And he said, no, no, what are you going to do? Because <laughs> it's easy to say, well, I'll make a phone call or I'll, I'll, I'll try to be better. But, but we're going to kind of push you a little bit to actually do something. Because then it becomes foundational to your life. I want to read you a letter I got just about a month ago. And she gave permission for me to use her name. It's uh, Melinda Oz. And she went on the Uganda mission two years ago. And, and she wrote this letter to me. This, I just got it a month, just before we left. Dear Pastor Ken, seven months ago, I was in the gym running on the treadmill and praying for, the, for my youngest sister who's diagnosed with pancreatic can- cancer. I was asking God why he would allow her illness yet keep my body so healthy. I then began to think of my children and the people in Uganda whom I had met and pondered on their situation. Again, asking God, why would he bless me with my health and abundant life? Clearly, there is more for us to do, more for me to do and to give for him. God placed it in me, the thought and desire to drill a well in Uganda, saving many lives. Now, I just needed to know how. Three years ago, my personal possessions were taken from me, my home, my business, even my car. I now live in a 600-square-foot apartment with no savings, not even health insurance. What would I do? What I do, what I do have is my health, the health and love of my children and grandchildren, and a huge heart and amazing skill as a hairstylist. So starting January 1st, I have been saving 100% of all the money received from new clients for their first appointment. Giving 10% of my income is not enough, especially with the abundance I have been given. Drilling a a well in Uganda costs approximately $10,000, and I have so far saved approximately $1,200, and it was included with the letter. The need of the people in Uganda is great and immediate. Daily lives are lost from starvation and contaminated water. I've enclosed the money so far earned to be used as needed and am in hopes that I can encourage others to see their value in God's work no matter what their situation is. P.S. I still have five more months this year (laughs) and I'm excited to see how much more I can earn. Oh yeah, and there's always next year. God is good. You see... Sometimes we think we have to have a lot. Sometimes we think it's got to be a big thing. But it's just if we begin to be faithful and do something, God can do incredible things through that. Which leads to the third theme that you're going to find throughout the Gospel of Luke. And it's this. It's the discovery that grace that has been received is grace that must be extended. We have been recipients of so much that God would send his one and only son to die on a cross in payment for my sin, the death that I deserve, the death that you deserve, and then to raise to new life and give me this gift of new life. That's grace. And the reoccurring theme that you find throughout Luke's gospel is grace and mercy, mercy and grace, grace and mercy. Over and over again. From the very first chapter, Zechariah prophesies in a prophetic song. And he says these words about Jesus who is coming. Because of the tender mercy of our God, 
The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And Jesus was the embodiment of grace. He was the embodiment of mercy. No one loved like Jesus loved. No one cared like Jesus cared. And he not only talked about mercy, he did mercy. Came across this this week, um, Michael Card wrote about this. And, And the Hebrew word for mercy is hesed. And he came up with a great definition, and I love it, so I'm gonna borrow it. He says, hesed, or mercy, is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. When the, when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And that's what Christ has done. And the best antidote to pride is grace. And the best antidote to judgmentalism is mercy. And if we can fully grasp, if we can, if we can let the message of grace and mercy so get down to the core of our being then we can be different people. We will be different people. And we will change the way that people look at the church. We will change the way people look at Christians. When it gets so deep down into our soul that we understand that that there is no room for pride because we didn't do anything. We got no reason and nothing to be proud of. It came to us as a gift of God's grace. And we can't possibly stand in judgmentalism of anybody else because were it not for Jesus Christ, we would be standing in judgment. And it's not what we have done. It's what he has done for us. And that message of grace is not just something for us to love and to hang on to and to hold on to and just feel warm and fuzzy about. It is something for us to extend, not just by our words, but by our actions. And because God has been merciful to me, I must be merciful to others. And God has been so gracious to me, how can I not be gracious to somebody else? There's no room for pride. There's no room for judgmentalism. And that's why Jesus could say, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. He's shown us how. And he's extended that mercy and grace to us. And now he says, you can do this. Not in your own strength. (laughs) Don't try to do this on your own. But because of the mercy and grace of Christ, if it infuses our lives so much that we begin to see people in a different way, we begin to react to people in a different way, then people will change their perception of the church. And we can't change any other church. And there's a lot of churches that are better at it than us. But what we are going to do together as a church is we're going to change the way people view the church so they will change the way that they see Christians so that they will see Jesus. Because Jesus is our only hope. The hope of the world. And he has graciously given himself to us. So we're going to challenge you. Beginning next Sunday, 
You don't have to wait till next Sunday, but beginning next Sunday to take your study guide, to do the reading, to think about Jesus, to reflect on why he does what he does, why he teaches what he teaches. What does it mean to me? What do I need to do in response to that? Take the 90-day challenge. We're going to do this together as a church, and it's our prayer and our hope that every one of you will be with us on this. So are you on board? Are you with us? All right. So we're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And we're going to see. This is what I'm most excited about. We're going to see what God does. We're going to see God change lives. And don't be surprised if your life is the one that gets changed. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.